The VPM Daily Newscast is sponsored by the Valentine Museum. Its Richmond History Makers event honors the individuals, organizations, objects, and even moments that have shaped Richmond's history over the past 125 years. Thursday, April 11th, part of a week-long celebration at the Valentine. Tickets can be purchased at richmondhistorymakers.com. I'm Benjamin Dolly, and this is the VPM Daily Newscast. Virginia Democrats have finished negotiating a two-year budget. As Ben Pavier reports, the General Assembly will take their first vote on it today. Back in March, Democrats approved a slew of new spending on everything from health care to housing. Their new proposal eliminates most of that because of a $2.8 billion shortfall. Virginia does have over $1 billion left over from CARES Act funding. Democrats are calling for some of that to help pay for the cost of reopening schools and universities. The budget calls for a $1,500 hazard pay bonus for personal care attendants who serve Medicaid recipients and a $500 bonus for some law enforcement officers. State employees would see an extra $1,500 in their paychecks in 2022, but only if revenues avoid a deeper hit. The proposed budget includes an eviction moratorium through December 31st and adds new limits after that. Republicans have criticized the length of negotiations, which have dragged on for nearly two months. Ben Pavier, VPM News. Legislation that allows local governments to create civilian review boards that have disciplinary and subpoena power has cleared the General Assembly. The boards evaluate allegations of police misconduct. Both chambers agreed to make it optional rather than a statewide mandate. The legislation excludes sheriffs because they are elected officials, as well as Virginia State Police because they aren't under local authority. The measure is now headed to the governor for his signature. A New York Times article published yesterday ranks the Robert E. Lee Monument as the most influential work of American protest art since World War II. The statue and surrounding traffic circle have undergone a transformation since the summer of protests after the killing of George Floyd. Activists spray-painted the base with the names of people killed by police as well as other symbols from the Black Lives Matter movement. At night, projections light up the base with the faces of Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and many others. The New York Times article said that the statue, which state and local leaders say represents racist Jim Crow-era power structures, has been reclaimed by activists. Governor Ralph Northam ordered the monument removed, but a number of Virginians filed lawsuits to prevent it. A court hearing is scheduled for next week. The Catholic Diocese of Richmond announced yesterday that it's paid 51 people, who as minors were sexually abused by clergy, more than $6 million. According to the diocese, 68 people came forward with claims, but eight were either withdrawn or did not meet the reconciliation program's requirements. Program administrators also denied nine claims. While anyone who received a payment forfeited their future right to sue, the diocese said they are free to talk about the abuse they experienced. Voters in over 40 states, including Virginia, are voting before Election Day. One candidate on the ballot is Senator Mark Warner, who's running for a third six-year term. On WAMU's show 1A yesterday, he expressed concern about election-related violence in light of the suspected plot revealed earlier this week against Governor Ralph Northam. If you don't get your way by the ballot box, you may resort to violence, this notion of resisting. You know, these are concepts that normally we attribute to other nations. This stuff just doesn't happen in the United States of America. Warner serves on the Senate Intelligence Committee. He says he's also worried about foreign election interference, which he adds could lead to delays in vote counting. Warner's opponent in the U.S. Senate race is Republican Daniel Gade. Yesterday was the final day of the 2020 census. Local census officials say the counts in Richmond and Virginia as a whole have been successful. According to the census website, self-response rates in Richmond were lowest in Southside, the East End, and near VCU's campus. 
Census experts have historically considered racial minorities hard to count due to distrust in government and language barriers and college students because they frequently change their address. Despite these disparities, officials estimate that more than 99% of Virginia residents responded to the census either on their own or after census workers followed up. Equality Virginia is currently hosting its 7th Annual Transgender Information Empowerment Summit, or TIES, conference. Throughout the week, there have been a number of virtual workshops focused on implicit bias, voting rights, and the future of black LGBTQ lives. Aurora Higgs is a black transgender woman from Richmond. She moderated a panel discussion at the conference and has attended for many years. People don't realize, like, trans people, we don't get family reunions. Like, we don't get block parties. We don't get like cookouts and things like that. So ties is all of that in one. This is the first year the conference was held virtually. Equality Virginia recently created an advisory committee to ensure future summits continue to be inclusive and diverse. Chester Library in Chesterfield County is set to reopen on Monday, October 19th. It's the fourth public library to reopen in the county since the start of the pandemic. All locations continue to offer curbside checkouts and virtual learning pods, where students, teachers, and teleworkers can reserve spaces for online education and telework. Hours at all Chesterfield Public Libraries are from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Thursday and from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. on Friday and Saturday. Visitors are expected to wear masks and social distance while in the library. As the November election nears, people are faced with a lot of information intended to help them vote. As Virginia decides, PolitiFact is trying to do its part by rating information of all kinds. This nonprofit has been fact-checking elections since 2007. VPM's PolitiFact Virginia reporter Warren Fisk spoke with the organization's editor-in-chief, Angie Holland, about the group's approach. People like our format, that we are just looking at statements and checking the facts, and that we rate everything on a scale from true to mostly true, half true, mostly false, false, and pants on fire. Does most of your reaction come from the ratings you give, or does it come from the work that goes into the fact checks? We hope that everybody who reads our fact checks learns something new. Certainly readers like to debate the ratings, especially when it's somewhere in the middle. People will say, was that mostly true or was it half true? Was it half true or was it mostly false? The point isn't the rating. The point is to give people a sense of how we see its relative accuracy and to give them all the research and the sources to investigate the evidence for themselves. How do you decide what to fact check? We come in every morning and we look at the news and we say, what are people talking about? What are the headlines? What did the politicians say yesterday? During this time of year, it's what are the election campaigns doing? Then we try to fact check things that we think people would be curious about. Things that would make someone say, hmm, I wonder if that's true. We do fact check both sides. We're independent and nonpartisan. But we tend to be attracted to statements that sound wrong. So we're not trying to balance the ratings or make everybody look the same. We're just trying to follow the facts where they take us. This has been a pretty busy year, I imagine. Uh, How does it stack up to what you've seen in the past? This has been one of the busiest election years we've ever covered. It's a very pitched partisan battle between the Democrats and the Republicans. President Trump is new to elective office and doesn't behave like a traditional politician. He tweets, he has press conferences. He doesn't seem to have much concern about exaggerating or making attacks on his opponents without evidence. And then we have all the misinformation online that is of great concern to many people. 
In general, have there been uh, particular issues that have kept you busy or has it been pretty wide uh, spread? We've been fact checking a lot of claims about the coronavirus and the pandemic. Online, we've seen a lot of misinformation around phony cures. We've been busy fact checking that, but we're also trying to keep readers apprised of the latest science. We fact check a lot of claims about the economy, about the job situation. We also fact check a lot of claims about healthcare and especially about protections for pre-existing conditions. Right now, under the Affordable Care Act, there are strong protections for pre-existing conditions. But if that law is successfully challenged in court, those protections might go away. And we see a lot of campaign messaging. Did this politician protect protections for pre-existing conditions or not? Now, PolitiFact has a partnership with Facebook to uh, check claims that are posted on Facebook. How did that come about? After the 2016 election, the fact checkers actually wrote an open letter to Facebook and we said, we think you have a misinformation problem and we'd like to help if we can. And to Facebook's credit, they reached back and said yes. So now there's a program where fact checkers rate content on Facebook and Facebook will downgrade information that's rated false. Now, not everybody loves this program because it is interfering with some really questionable claims and it gets pushback. But I think on the whole, if we're looking to reduce false information on the social platforms, it's a good program, it's effective. And there are other fact-checking organizations that are working with Facebook as well. Facebook has made agreements with a number of United States fact-checkers and fact-checkers around the world. PolitiFact is one in the U.S., factcheck.org, and USA Today also fact-check, and many others. Is there a difference between uh, what you find online and what you find coming out of the uh, politicians' uh, mouths? There used to be a big difference. You'd see all kinds of crazy hoaxes online, but the politicians wouldn't really say that. And I'm sorry to say... They seem to be more comfortable repeating things, President Trump being the prime example. Often I see things come up online through the social media fact-checking first, and then apparently the politicians see it too and they repeat it. Does Facebook send you a list of uh, questionable uh, claims online, or or how do you decide uh, what to look into on Facebook? They put together a news feed of questionable claims. It's like the worst news feed you've ever seen. Things that Facebook's algorithm has detected. It's also things that users themselves flag as potentially false. If you're a Facebook user, you can mark a piece of information as potentially false. And we look for the claims that are the most viral and the most wrong, and we fact check those first. What kind of uh, claims are are you seeing? uh... We see a lot of claims about conspiracy theories. The QAnon conspiracy alleges that well-known Democrats are pedophiles, which is such an outlandish claim. There's no support for that in the public record. In most cases, not even accusations. We also see a lot of false claims about what candidates did or said, false claims about Vice President Joe Biden's running mate, Kamala Harris. Her mother is from India, her father, Jamaica. She identifies as black. And some of these posts online try to undermine that saying she's not who she says she is. They're false. When you look at the uh, election this year uh, with Trump and Biden, is is one uh, more truthful perhaps than the other? Joe Biden is a pretty traditional politician. He has a long history of 
public service as an elected official. He's run for president twice. And he's not perfect by any means. He makes inaccurate claims fairly regularly. President Trump seems much more comfortable, though, repeating conspiracy theories. I don't see that with Joe Biden. What can you do to protect yourself, I guess, from misinformation or or detect it? When people come across information online, the best thing they can do is think before they share. So if they see something that they think is outrageous, makes them angry or afraid, they should just do a quick Google search and make sure it's true. There's a lot of fact checking going on right now. Uh, Most of the statements around presidential politics get fact checked by one organization or another. And for the people who are making fake information and trying to promote it, they're hoping we won't yet. We're trying to remind people what the standards are for a supported statement so that we can have the information we need to govern ourselves in a representative democracy. That was PolitiFact Editor-in-Chief Angie Holland speaking with VPM's PolitiFact Virginia reporter Warren Fisk. You can read more about fact-checking at vpm.org elections. You can find all of VPM's stories online at vpm.org news. This has been the VPM Daily Newscast. VPM.